Throughout the Gospels, Jesus says some really wonderful things. And for a moment, just think of your favorite saying of Jesus. Maybe it's where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are tired and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Or maybe it's where Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Maybe it's where Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will move mountains. Maybe it's where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Or maybe where he stands over Jerusalem and says, how I have longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. There are so many messages of empowerment and encouragement that Jesus offers. Which one is your favorite? In the stories leading up to today's gospel, Jesus tells story after story about the power of persistent faith. Jesus also offers some hard sayings, some things that are difficult to put into practice, but they're beautiful things. One of them is in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, love your enemies. A great challenge, a part of what it means to become a community of respect. But when I reflected on Jesus saying, love your enemies, and then juxtaposed that with today's gospel, which we'll get into shortly, a question came. And the question was, when Jesus says, love your enemies, does he practice what he preaches? <laughs> well, some of us would say, absolutely, Jesus was perfect. We all know Jesus was perfect. Yes, of course he loved his enemies. What are you talking about? Well, let's look at today's gospel. Because in today's gospel, the second reading, Jesus actually meets one of his enemies. He meets a Canaanite. The Canaanites were the indigenous people that surrounded the place where Jesus was from. They were the traditional enemies of his people. And so, quite frankly, Jesus grew up hearing the Canaanites referred to as outsiders. And in fact, it was probably worse than outsiders. That was a polite name for them. Jesus grew up in a carpenter shop, and so there was a good chance that while he was helping in the carpenter shop, he heard people come in and tell Canaanite jokes. It was part of his conditioning, part of the culture he grew up in. Now, when there are insiders and outsiders, the insiders oftentimes have names for that outside group, names that are less than respectful. One of the common names for the Canaanites during that time was dogs. The Canaanites were also referred to as ignorant, and they used less than flattering terms when describing them as ignorant. Now, here's the kicker. The way the rules were set up at that time the Canaanites were not even allowed to go to the same institutes of higher education that Jesus' people were able to go to. So this is how it was set up. They were called ignorant and then not allowed to go to school. The tax dollars did not support them. So this is what is going on in part of Jesus' community. There were insiders and outsiders, and the outsiders were Canaanites. And in today's scripture, he meets a Canaanite. Now, sometimes 
when there's a situation that calls for compassion, the insiders will at least be compassionate to the outsider given the circumstances. Let's go further into the scripture and you'll see it printed there in your worship folder. In our scripture today, a Canaanite is under dire circumstances. She's a mother. And like any mother, she loves her daughter. And she loves her daughter fearlessly. And so she comes to Jesus because she's heard of how he is one who offers healing. She comes and with great respect, she asks for his help. An enemy comes to Jesus asking for compassion. Her hand is out, her heart is open. And how does Jesus respond? It's hard for us to accept this, but quite honestly, he responds as many who are privileged responds. He ignores her. In fact, this is how it's written here. She comes to him, offering him the fullest respect. She says, have mercy on me, Lord, heir of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. If you have your pen, just underline that next phrase. But he did not answer her at all. Now notice she was screaming. She was not being subtle in her request. She was being direct. She was being respectful. She was calling out. Now at that point, the privileged might say, well, she was a little bit hysterical, actually. Just another hysterical woman to add another slur to what's going on here. There are other times where people who are not of Jesus' tradition come to him and he does respond to them. One's a centurion. Happens to be a male. It's interesting that in two cases Jesus does respond to the outsider but those outsiders happen to be people of a higher level than the woman we meet in our scripture today. It's a sad moment but we'll soon see it's a hopeful moment. You see she is persistent and many when they preach this scripture try to really not focus too much on how Jesus is responding. They focus more on her and they talk about the faith and how she's responding with that persistent faith that Jesus is teaching. But we miss the fullness if we don't look at the full response of Jesus here. She doesn't give up. The disciples, they're Jesus' handlers at this moment. <laughs> they, they try to get her to back off. They, they say, send her away for he keeps shouting. She keeps stirring the pot. She's creating too much trouble here. But she continues to open herself. She continues to persist. What's powerful is she refuses to be a victim. Though she grew up in an oppressive culture, and though that oppression is being reinforced even by Jesus at this moment, she kneels before him. And again, she uses a word of respect, and she even kneels at this moment because her daughter matters that much to her. And she says, Lord, have mercy. 
Now you think at this moment that she would finally break through Jesus' cultural conditioning. That he would hear past those jokes he heard in the carpenter shop. But at this moment, when Jesus meets the enemy of his people, he actually calls her that name that's been used by his people towards the Canaanites for so long. He calls her a dog. The original language actually says he calls her an ignorant dog. Now, some who have looked at this scripture and have had a hard time imagining Jesus talking like this have tried to soften it a little bit. Some have said that Jesus actually referred to her as a beloved dog, kind of like the family pet. Well, does it feel any better to be called an ignorant poodle <laughs> than just a dog? Once again, see what happens here. We're uncomfortable with how Jesus has named her, and I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't like it either. This isn't the Jesus I was taught about. But notice what happens here. She comes back at him. Now she is still responding in respect. She's responding actually with what we would call soul force. She could call him a name. The Canaanites had names for Jesus' people as well. But she stays in a place of respect. She stays in that place of need. And I love her come back here. She says, It is not fair. She says, Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their owner's tables. She says, you can call me whatever you want to call me. But my daughter and I, we are still deserving of the food and the healing. Again, she refuses to be a victim. And I think at that moment, something shifts in Jesus. That's why we need to come out and speak out sometimes. Because sometimes there's a conversation that leads to transformation. And that's exactly what happens to here. She comes out as a person in need. She refuses to be the victim. And she says, even the dogs deserve the crumbs. Go ahead and call me a dog if you will. But I am still alive. And I'm still in need. Basically what happens here is she renames herself as one who is deserving and worthy. And Jesus sees her in a new way. What I love here is that when she refuses to be a victim, when she speaks out even to Jesus, he answers her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish it is a moment of powerful transformation and renaming notice the shift here he goes from calling her a dog to calling her faithful and in that comes healing oh yes what we name each other can be so destructive Yet when we refuse to allow others to name us in ways that diminish us, names can take on new strength. And a renaming happens. This is actually a turning point in Jesus' ministry. 
because he goes from this place to begin to see people in a new way, to open the doors. It is only a few chapters later in Matthew 25 that Jesus says, go into all the world and share this gospel of love and transformation and affirmation and power. Because of his conversation with her, with the Canaanite woman, the great omission becomes the great commission. It's openness. It's alive. Now what's the hope for us in this? I think it's very hopeful for us that Jesus was like us in so many ways. And that includes his ability to rise above his conditioning. His ability to rise above what he had been taught. I'll be honest, I grew up in a partly in West Texas where my family was, some in California. And every time I'd go home to visit my relatives in West Texas, you know what kind of jokes they told? They told Aggie jokes. (laughs) I learned very shortly after coming to Houston, you don't tell Aggie jokes in Houston because Houston's (laughs) close to Texas (laughs) A&M. But we grow up hearing these things and it's hard to get them out of our system. Why? Because the system reinforces what's in our system. So how do we rise above that? By listening, by engaging. It happens the same way it happened for Jesus. When you look into someone's eyes and you look into their needs, they are no longer the same person. They become someone new and she became someone new for Jesus. She called him teacher, Lord, heir of David. But who was she really? She was his teacher. She became his Lord. In a sense, she became his master because she helped him to master a new powerful truth. You want to know something? Read all the Gospels. And you'll find that Jesus wins all his arguments. Every one of them. Except this one. This is the one argument he lost. She spoke the truth. He looked into himself. And Jesus is moved to a new place. Beyond his racial conditioning. Beyond his sense of isolationism. A place of exclusion. To a place of inclusion. She was given a new name. This has got me to thinking about our names, the power of naming, the way we name ourselves and those around us. You know, when you accidentally don't hit the save button and everything on your screen suddenly disappears, what do you call yourself? (laughs) How's the first way you name yourself? I know what I do. I use the same name that Jesus used for her. I call myself ignorant. How ignorant could you be? Wasn't that stupid? You didn't hit the save button. Now look at this. Or if you watch the Olympics and see those buff athletes jumping off diving boards and swimming so fast, how do we name them? Gorgeous. Beautiful. I have, I have one little warning when you're watching the Olympics. When you get up from your sofa to go in and get the chips and dips, don't look in the mirror. <laughs> 
because you might find yourself naming yourself in an unflattering way. There's power in naming. Jesus calls her faithful and the world has changed forever. She's no longer his enemy. There was a, a young child that went to Sunday school class and he was severely allergic to nuts. And so they wanted to make sure that he didn't come into exposure with any nuts. And so they gave him a name tag. And the name tag said, Hello, my name is dot dot dot. I have a nut allergy. <laughs> that became how he was known, the kid with the nut allergy. Didn't he have a name? Even at church, even in Sunday school, didn't he have some name beyond, hello, my name is, I have a nut allergy? <laughs> How we name each other. It has divine power. What we speak to ourselves and to each other has divine power. Yunaba Okraba tells this wonderful thought about what it means to have divine names. What would it be like if everywhere we went we wore a name tag with something about us written on it? A word or a phrase to help others learn something important about us. Some days my name tag would say, I'm more sensitive than I look. Or my name tag might say, I respond to kindness. What name tags might I find on different people I know? Sometimes I thoughtlessly name other people. Yet naming is a gift of divine power that God shares with us. Imagine if we look at other people and name them as God names them, beloved. Yet there are other ways of naming people. Each day I pass a homeless man who stands on a medium at a busy intersection. I am now very aware of how I name him. So viewing the act of naming as an act of divine power, it has me acknowledging to God about how I allow myself to be named and how I name others. And it has me praying for courage to live in ways that create new, loving, affirming, transforming, powerful names. Each of us probably struggles with different names, what we name ourselves and how we imagine God names us. Many of us do more violence to our hearts, minds, and spirits than we realize because of the less than God-given names that we give ourselves. Yet if we courageously stay in the presence of God's transforming love, we will respond to people with love. We will learn their many God-given names, and we will discover that we too can be given a new name. Hello. My name is, I see you, and I respond with kindness and genuine concern for your well-being, no matter who you are. Hmm. Today, this powerful woman in our scripture becomes named Shiro. She becomes named faithful, persistent, loving mother. There's power in names. And so I ask you now, what name would you like to be called? Think about it. How would you like to be known? Courageous? Fighter? Lover? 
giver. Think about it for a moment. And I'd invite you to look at the end of your roll on the bayou side. And there's a bowl or a basket there. And we have name tags. I'd invite you at this time to take one of those tags, to take a writing utensil, and to think about how you would like to be named on this day. Persistent. Good father. Good worker. Faithful friend. If you look in our grow up for today, you'll see that I chose some names for the different writers who were there. I gave all of them at least three or more names. Gracie Monathu is a Kenyan, a poet, a daughter, a preacher, a Shiro, a Methodist, a pot stirrer, or a liberator. I wrote the opening prayer, and I'm from Lubbock, so I use the word Lubbockian, whatever that is. Explorer, friend. But for a moment now, think of how you wish to be named. Give yourself three or four names, or maybe a phrase. Write that and then place it over your heart. This is a powerful moment of living out this scripture and renaming ourselves in God's divine love and God's divine light. today as you see the names that you've given yourself tell someone about why you chose the name you chose or ask someone about how you see that they've named themselves Reverend Mona gentle playful joy-filled seeker how are you still seeking how are you still playing when was the last time you played? Jason Wood, cheerleader, champion, encourager. Oh yes, that's kind of self-explanatory when it comes to you. <laughs> but we still want to know how you got there because we know it wasn't easy. Kristen, 
one word, thine. Thine is the glory. Thine is the power. Thine. Terry Talley. Oh, we need more like you. Loving welcomer. Why do you feel it's so important that you be loving and that you welcome? Mother, mentor, minister, spouse, teacher, supporter. I try to be faithful. Oh yeah. We're all trying, we're all growing, we're all becoming. So the name you've chosen today is a name of divine power. Put your name over your heart because that's where your name is held, in God's divine heart. And let us pray together. Oh God, you have made us so beautiful. Lover of horses. Faithful, loving, dependable, capable, caring. Oh God, you are good beyond measure. Good friend, lover, keeper, blessed, overcomer, holy, alive, real, seeking, creative. Oh God, you are so good, for you have called us by many names, some which we can't read, <laughs> but nevertheless are very true. And so God, help us to tell our stories and to live fully, abundantly, and faithfully as a community of respect in the name of Jesus, who changed and calls us to change. Amen. I've said before that when I uh, hear the words making ministry happen, I think changing the world. I'm so honored to belong to a community of faith which is willing to stand up against, uh, stand up and take personal responsibility against prejudice and discrimination. Just in 2008, Resurrection has accomplished many amazing things. Many of us have already signed the resolution of respect. We participated in a vigil against hate crimes after the murder of Kenneth Cummings. We partnered with the Center for the Healing of Racism on two of their Dialogue Racism workshops. We supported the Freedom to Marry Week activities, including a protest at the county clerk's office and hosting the largest mass same-sex wedding in Texas. We partnered with Soulforce in challenging six megachurches across the country to end spiritual violence against the LGBTQ community, starting with Lakewood. We hosted Gender Talk an opportunity to engage discussion around transgender issues. And last but most importantly, I want to honor the countless prayers, words, and ways that each of us take a stand against bias in our daily lives. Looking forward, I'm so thrilled for October when we officially launch a huge outreach campaign, Would Jesus Discriminate? Billboards around Houston will challenge our neighbors to reconsider what they believe about Christianity. A Saturday workshop will provide you with the tools to speak about God's inclusive love in your life. And there will be a sermon series on the topic, including one Sunday by the executive director of MCC, Reverend Dr. Cindy Love. Resurrection, thank you for allowing me to be on this journey with you. I cannot wait to see what the future holds. And now I'm so proud to welcome someone who is making ministry happen every day.
She is the Community of Respect Project Coordinator for the Anti-Defamation League, LaMonica Yarbrough. not supposed to be so emotional for me today, but uh, thank you so much for, um, for that message. I needed that today, and I, I really, uh, before I present this to you all, for all the work that you've done, I want to thank you all for allowing this wonderful pastor to partner with the ADL for several years in uh, so many of our efforts, in our interfaith efforts, in our community-based efforts. Uh, he has been a joy to work with. Uh, many of you here today have worked with us in many regards on a lot of our programming, and we really appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to reintroduce myself as Believer. Um, and it, amazingly enough, that's where I'm coming from today. I just believe in so many powerful things. Uh, the work that you all are doing here, the anti-bias campaign that you all have coming out in October is amazing, and I cannot wait to see the results of that. So thank you all very much for coming up with that and for launching that and, and spearheading that effort. Uh, with that being said and all the wonderful things that, that Marcus has discussed that you all have done here at Resurrection um, and also within the community, I am proud to present you all with the 2008 Community of Respect designation. Uh, I know that you all also have a banner, but Reverend Johnson, <laughs> you can proudly display this in your office and uh, maybe get people to come by and take a look at that. But thank you all very much for all that you've done. not too often that we put a plaque on our communion table, but I'm putting it there because this table truly represents the fullness of who we are. It's the place where we come together as community, and the truth is it's each one of us. It's each one of us that makes this a community of respect. I also believe that being a community of respect is part of what it means to offer food to our community, and it's the food that we offer from this table. Putting a plaque on a sacred place is not an unsacred act when that plaque stands for something that's truly sacred, which is loving each other with the fullness and abundance of our divine creator. Thank you so much, LaMonica. Believer. If you'll turn to page three in your bulletin, please. Join your voices with mine. Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church takes responsibility for standing up against all forms of prejudice and discrimination. We, we commit, commit to creating a world that is, that is a community of respect. We pledge from this day forward to do our best to combat prejudice and to stop those who, because of hate or ignorance, would hurt anyone or violate their civil rights. We will try at all times to be aware of our own biases and seek to gain understanding of those who we perceive as being different from ourselves. We will speak out against all forms of prejudice and discrimination. 
we will reach out to support those who are targets of hate. We will think about specific ways that Resurrection MCC can promote respect for people and create a prejudice-free zone. We firmly believe that one person can make a difference and that no person can be an innocent bystander when it comes to opposing hate. We recognize that respecting individual dignity, achieving equality, and promoting intergroup harmony are responsibilities of all people. We commit, we commit ourselves to creating a community of respect. Let us pray. God, thank you for providing a space for this diverse congregation with so many names to come together each week to worship. Bless these offerings and help us to be mindful that by loving you and loving our neighbors as ourselves, we can create a worldwide community of respect. Your heaven, here on earth. Amen.